welcome everyone to I So Appreciate You, a raw, funny, and uniquely insightful podcast about the issues and opportunities we all face as values-based leaders and humans. I'm Nadej. And I'm Melanie. We're colleagues at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, and we're friends. When we get together, our conversations can go anywhere, especially when bringing a friend or two along for the ride. So we're inviting you to join us and some incredible guests as we explore the challenges and triumphs of people shaking up our community for the better. Hey, everyone. We have got a great episode today. We get to talk to Allison Hahn, who is the executive director of Naturally Minnesota. They're an initiative that supports and accelerates Minnesota's ecosystem for food and agricultural entrepreneurship and innovation. Wow. I mean, that's a lot. It is a lot. Yes. So, like, I feel like it's going to be a jam-packed conversation. Yes. Yes. We're going to dig in. We are. We are. But, you know, now thinking about food and agriculture and then thinking about myself, because I guess I'm self-centered, like my annual summer garden. Oh, yes. Let's talk gardening. Yes. Are you what a gardener? Do, I'm a gardener. How do we not? How do we we haven't had this conversation before. Like, no. So Legitimately, guys, I'm not pretending. We didn't just make this nope. up. We've never talked about gardening nope. before. Nope. I, I love, I really do love to garden. It's hard. I mean, there's, we could talk about this forever. Right. The watering, the time, the, the selecting the plants. But what are you growing? What does your garden look like? Well, It must be on your porch or your uh, balcony. balcony. Yes. So, you know, now that we're in a condo, um, it's a little urban balcony garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I usually try to grow tomatoes. Yes. And like some herbs, but I'll be honest, for some reason, I don't have good luck with herbs. So like, mm-hmm. clearly I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, <laughs> and then usually like peppers or okay. something, but like tomatoes are the big one for me because I like to make fresh salsa. Yes, me and, too. And the tomatoes. Yes. Well, we're very aligned. My, over the years I've had different gardens. Um, we moved in the last year and now for some reason I could not, the gardens were not working at my old house. It might be a soil issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have put tomatoes in these last couple of years and it is just bumper crop, like tomatoes coming out of every single like leaf flowering thing. So I have been harvesting tomatoes and then I, I do flower gardens. So I have a lot of flowers and such, but I want to expand this garden. I have to add, then I also have an herb garden that I put at the side of the house with basil, oregano, all these other different herbs, but, um, our dog Lyle. We have to monitor him oh. because it is kind of a natural dog pee spot. And so I'm like, listen, and I watch him, but I do not know if Emily, my wife does. So we have to. The next time I come over, I'm going to be like, are these the Ned, fresh yes. herbs? just <laughs> looking at She's giving me a look like I'm not eating your salsa. Um, but yeah, salsa is a, a fun favorite to make. But now you have peppers. So maybe you can spare me a pepper or two. Oh, yeah. Like I don't literally don't know what I'm doing this year oh, and okay. I have too many. So, oh, so actually yeah. maybe I could just bring some whenever, but, um, I'm not a good gardener. Oh. Like in the sense that like, I don't know what I'm doing. I probably mm-hmm. am not following any of the rules. I like forget to water sometimes. Yes. I probably haven't changed the soil. And like there were years back in the day when I lived in a house that I had tomatoes that were yeah. like taller than Addison was at a certain age and just right. like out of control. Um, and then there are years where I have like two. Right. It's it, it's random. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I just make my peace with it. I know that it's, I know that I probably don't devote mm-hmm. the necessary amount of time to like produce as much as I reasonably could, but I'm very happy with the little bit that I produce. Like that first tomato mm-hmm. of the season. 
Yes. Oh, and the good. way that they smell. They I smell know. like memories. They smell like summer. They smell like real tomatoes. Good. Yes. Well, goodness. Now I'm really excited to talk to Allison to hear more about food and um, to dig into what she's doing around uh, all of these food issues in our state. I So Appreciate You is just one of the many initiatives we are working on at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. Want to learn more about how we work to create an equitable, just, and vibrant Minnesota? Join our email list by visiting us at spmcf.org email. While you're there, make sure to check out our blog and follow us on social media. All right. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a very special and interesting guest, Allison Hahn. Allison, just a, a little bit of background. Well, before we go there, how are you? Let's I'm, just pause. I'm doing well today. You're it's doing a gray, well. uh, rainy, gray day here in St. Paul, but after many, many days of beautiful sunshine. All right. But, and I just learned that you and my co-host have aura rings, so you know exactly how you're doing. <laughs> we do. We yes. Do. Yeah. For our listeners, a little bit about the background about you but you're the executive director of Naturally Minnesota, or MN, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. And um, you, in that role, you're really supporting entrepreneurship and innovation and agriculture in the food space. And and you are our first guest. We're really digging into this topic. Um, so very excited to talk a little bit more about that. You're also a 2023 40 Under 40 uh, recipient from the business journal. So congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, that was very... a surprise. There's always so many incredible leaders in the ecosystem. So you're always like, oh, you know, imposter syndrome. Comes in <laughs> right. heavy on yeah. That. Well, I've never dealt with that. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you uh, for normalizing that. Um, and then also before um, your current role, it looks like you spent 10 years as a food scientist. I did. I That's... cut my teeth in the classic R&D space here in town. Wow. So I'm going to want to know more about yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to yeah, talk. Okay. We're going to talk about that. But and I want to know more about this last little tidbit that I, I pulled out. Is it true that you uh, are a race car driver? I do have a uh, old BMW that I use for autocross and track I, driving days. I mean, seriously. One of the things we like to do to just kind of loosen things up is start every interview with three quick questions. Mm. So ready? I'm, I was wondering if there was a rapid fire round in here somewhere. Mm. So. All right. Chicken wings or nachos? Oh, chicken wings. Oh, like that was <laughs> definitive. No, definitive. And like dry rub chicken wings. Oh, yeah. Those are really good. Yeah. Although I would be more torn on... Nachos are good, too. I mean, they are, but... Right. Okay. Breakfast for dinner or dinner for breakfast? Oh, probably breakfast for dinner, but mostly because occasionally my family would do that growing up. And so it's very nostalgic mm -hmm. for me. Fair enough. All right. When you've got a recipe, do you follow it exactly or consider it more of a suggestion? They're more like guidelines anyway. Um, great question. And this actually speaks to my background. I always generally follow the recipe to the T the first time because I need a control. I need to know how it was supposed to turn out. And then I will tweak it the next time if I deem it valuable and worthy enough. Or if I'm like, oh, although sometimes depending on what it is, you're like, we well, you can use more garlic here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, I love that. there's easy edits to make. Yeah. Mel, are you a recipe follower? I am ish. I am ish. I mean, you answered that like a, a food scientist would, I think. You know, you, you have your control subject. Is that how you say that? And yeah. then you can tweak. How about you? 
oh yeah i'm totally making stuff oh. up. like it is literally just like you can do that in cooking you can't yeah. do that in baking correct that's, that's which is, right which is why i don't bake baking is a science <laughs> baking is a science and i stay very far away from that but otherwise i color with all the colors in my you know <laughs> crayon it. box i love I it we're gonna dig into some questions alice and we really like i said we want to understand a little bit more about what you do and your organization and for our listeners, you know, I think we really need to kind of break down what is the ecosystem of Minnesota's food product development? I think the reality is, right, most of us go to the store and we grab a product yeah. mm-hmm. and we don't have to think about how it got there, why it's there, why a different one isn't there, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you're kind of living in the space that gets that product to us. And, mm-hmm. and it, I would just love to know a little bit more, like at a high level, like what does that ecosystem look like? Yeah. So... It's, this is a, a big, broad question, and I'm going to try and cover as much as I can, as fast as I can, for everybody's sake. All right. So what's really fascinating about Minnesota is we have such large and plentiful legacy food companies here. General Mills, Lando Lakes, Schwann's, Hormel, Post, like the lit target as a retailer. It just continues and goes. So not only do we have the infrastructure for corporate R&D, but we also have the highest number of food scientists in the country, essentially here. Really? Yep. Recovering food scientists. So here for that. Um, But then we also have all the production ag that feeds that. And we also have the middle, the middle side, right? The, the, um, the processing side as you will. And so what's interesting about when you think about the entrepreneurial landscape here is so many people have exposure and are interested in food. It can be a low bar to get into. You can start making something in your kitchen, go to a farmer's market and start scaling from there. Um, But then it becomes really challenging because we have so many corporate folks here. It is, as we all know, Minnesota is a wonderful place to raise a family, to live. There's, you can have a really stable job. And so our risk level here is actually not that high. And so if you think about who's willing to make that jump, it often ends up being ex-General Mills or ex-Target folks who have the a the network, right? They know the people to call, and often they have the generational wealth to do it. And so I would say historically we have seen a lot of white founders who have dominated this space. And then as, you know, especially in the last five, ten years, you know, everyone has family recipes, they have things they want to share. And so we've seen a proliferation of black and brown founders, especially in Minneapolis and North Minneapolis that come through Neon and Mita and NDC and LEDC who have great products. And, you know, the problem is, is that they don't have the family friends around to bridge them in their growth. Um, And they don't have the acumen at times because they haven't worked in that large corporate and they don't have the contacts. So it ends up being really unfair in terms of, you know, who gets where faster. And so Mm. our legacy is both a a strength and a limitation when it comes to the ecosystem and how it grows here. Um, But from what we do, because we don't have consultants, um, you know, we're formally Grow North. So we live at the Home Center of Entrepreneurship at the U of M along with MinCup. Um, we started with a really lovely grant from General Mills um, to get us up and running, and they continue to be a wonderful partner and sponsor of ours. Um, but we really act as the front door. So, you know, I'm here to help navigate because entrepreneurs are overwhelmed and confused. When do they do what? Who do they go for what? And we want to de- demystify that for them. And so, you know, I bring in, you know, I talk to the leaders of all those orgs. We bring them all together. We want to figure out how can we best serve your entrepreneurs and everyone else. And we know an entrepreneur will have to use all of the resources of the ecosystem. They're not just going to go to one program and be done. Right. You know, it's that's not how it works. So we really try to be that front door, help navigate. And we do that through a lot of events. So we host about 60 events a year. 
Food Egg Ideas Week is our marquee event October 9th and 10th this year at the Minnesota History Center. Actually heading there right after this to go mm. do the walkthrough. Um, and that's our major convening moment. So, you know, it is not only industry folks and entrepreneurs, it is investors, lawyers, all the service providers like agency, marketing, branding, um, professors, students, other nonprofit folks, government folks, um, you know, everyone shows up and it's really the ultimate convening moment. And so, so much of what we do is around providing the collisions of people to connect and like connect with the right people who can help them at the right time. And so aside from all that programming, a fair amount of my role is actually meeting one-on-one -on -one with hundreds of entrepreneurs every year and hundreds of industry folks. So I have the mental map and can say, oh, you're, this is who you are. This is what you're doing. You need help with this. Great. I'll make a warm intro here, a warm intro here. They'll be able to help you move your business along. So when you talk about ecosystem, you really mean ecosystem. You are tapped into all of these different um, folks who are moving ideas along. I'm, I'm curious, when you are meeting with these entrepreneurs, how, do I, how are they finding you? You talked about someone who has that family recipe and they're really excited. And so what is the natural intersection where you come into their experience? Yeah, you know, um, it's a couple of different pathways. It's honestly, which is the least, which is unfortunate, it's probably the organic way where they're okay. like entrepreneur help. And, yeah. you know, who knows how our SEO is on for that and whether they stumble onto <laughs> right. it. Um, a lot of times it's through uh, similar referrals. So it is like mm -hmm. a, a two-way street where, um, you know, the Minnesota Department of Ag is a really close partner of ours. Um, they're often the first stop because they have the licenses you need. They have a lot of um, some resources online that people go to. And so often if they connect with someone, they say, hey, also you should check out Naturally Minnesota. They have more resources, more events, more opportunity. Um, and so that's a big way where people kind of stumble upon us. And then it's just, I mean, it's an influx of referrals. It's founder to founder. It's if someone is helping them, they'll say, oh, do you know about this? And oftentimes it's no. Um, I'll, you know, awareness is our biggest hurdle at times. People just right. don't know we exist and they don't know everything that we do. And when they find us, they're like, oh my God, this is great. Where were you three, five years ago? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's one of the biggest, you know, it's like we're, the ecosystem here is almost one of the best kept secrets because there is so much here and so much help available, but it's, it is hard to navigate. Right. Especially on the two, I'll say every entrepreneur I talk to has two things they need, a place to manufacture. They're like, where can I get my product mm -hmm. made? Yep. And where can I get capital? Every single one. Yeah. So, you know, just thinking of, I want to go back to, right, somebody's got that family recipe. And mm -hmm. just sort of thinking how how you go from, you know, the, the, the family recipe, which is made with love and care in, you know, grandma's kitchen and, you know, using whatever's available to you to something that ultimately needs to be produced in a sort of regular um, regimented I can't think quality of good control words. Quality so it can end up on shelf of, yeah, yeah like shelf stable all of those things um, how how does a person you know like what is the are there types of products that are sort of better suited for that or you know can everything get there like I'm just trying to get from like we need mom, like a proxy my grandmother's example really for you good yeah. Soup. Yes, uh, yeah and then now everybody's eating it too so it depends. So many. It I depends. Know, I, I know. I'm just trying to take our listeners on a journey. So yes. That they can so let. Along. Well, I'm trying to think of what would be like jams and jellies. Oh, and you know, let's not do that one. Let's do pasta sauce. Oh, great. Huh? Because a lot of people have a sauce option that they love. Yep. That, you know, grandma made. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
step one is, okay, where do I get the ingredients? And it's obviously not super economical to buy your ingredients at a grocery store. So most people will start by buying either try to find wholesale or even Costco. Honestly, that's where most mm-hmm. people oh, start yeah. is buying in bulk at Costco. Um, the sourcing journey of finding ingredients, that is actually one of the trickiest things for people to find is like, mm-hmm. I don't need this much. So, how, you know, you don't meet minimum order quantities oftentimes. So sourcing growth is a big problem area for a lot of folks. Um, but you have to find your ingredients and then you have to figure out a process. And if you're making it at home, you have to get a license. They come and inspect your space. You have to tell them what your kill step is um, from a quality control standpoint. So are you heating it to a certain degree? Mm. So if you'd be cooking your sauce on the stove, you're going to have to hold it at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time. So, and you know, if you think about canning, right? Yeah. Same thing. And then how are you sterilizing your jars or whatever your things are, your packaging? Um, but you also have to think about packaging. What is my packaging? What can I afford? What makes mm-hmm. sense for my product? And that's, I mean... People start with like, what is the cheapest, easiest thing I can do just to get an MVP out there? And that's what you see at the farmer's market. Once you want to get into retail, that's where you have to really start thinking things through a bit more in terms of, okay, what is the sauce set at the grocery store? Everything's in glass jars. Is there a way for me to be differentiated? Or is it the flavor profile? Or is it my ingredients? Or is it the claims I can make on my sauce? And so this is honestly, this is a bad example because pasta sauce is so uniform. (laughs) Everybody has like the same five skews. Um, So sorry. Um, But you have to really start thinking like, what is your brand? What's your brand identity? Who's buying you? Because people, I think, you know, they assume everyone will love my product. Everyone tells me it's great. And it's like, that's fine, but you need to get really granular on who is it for. And so really having a good understanding of your brand, your consumer, um, how do you fit into your category? Is there white space? Is there not? Um, Are you just a me too? Because I can tell you how you, like your product has to taste good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to have a good brand. Um, And you, oh, what was the third one? man, there are three things. It's like, you have to have these three. Oh, you have to have a point of differentiation. Right. If you don't have those three, like you can have some success, but not, you're not going to, you know, and this is also an important question. What is your, what is the founder's desired outcome? Right. A lot of times people just think of, I need to have an exit and I need to make, Mm -hmm. you know, the big exit to a big company. But it's like, you can have a lifestyle brand and make a couple hundred grand a year and be very happy. Taking a little bit of a different direction, what is your relationship with the growers of food? Do you work with them? And, and then a deeper question, I'm because I come from a, a farming family, a mm. farm in the Red River Valley, and um, just thinking about agriculture and mm. how massive of an operation it can be versus the people who are trying to grow smaller scale and the tension that mm-hmm. exists there mm-hmm. in Minnesota, I'd just be really curious your take on that. Yeah. So um, this is a very timely question. Last Tuesday, we actually did a field day at A-Frame Farms in Dawson, Minnesota, which is about three hours. And we had 100 people there. Um, It was an incredible day. We went to four different fields and it's a regenerative farm. So the farmer there is no-till. They do certain crop rotation practices and cover crops and things so they can be doing nitrogen fixing, carbon fixing, Mm -hmm. protecting the land, improving the watershed. Um, It's really about soil and water health practices. But what's super fun is that farmer supplies Patagonia provisions. They make Kernza beer, um, Hmm. Simple Mills gets their sunflowers from them. Um, Lil Bucks is a buckwheat snack company out of San Diego. And they actually brought all of these teams. I mean, we had probably 20 or 30 people fly in to come to this field day and like tour around. And then we had a panel with the farmer, Luke, who's incredible. 
um, and the leaders of some of these orgs talking about what it takes to create the demand for these crops Mm -hmm. and how do they de-risk it for the farmer. So the tension here, right, is it has been all about efficiency, right? Get the most yield out of the land as possible at any price. Um, And, you know, we had Norman Borlaug, father of the Green Revolution at the U of M. So Minnesota has a deep history in optimization. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened now is we continue to lose topsoil. We continue Mm -hmm. to, you know, have very um, unhealthy soil, right? There's not a lot of life in it. Um, not when I buy life, I mean bacteria and everything, you know, a, a good soil um, aggregate will have earthworms and all types of things that'll stick together. There's, you know, it's living. It is a living organism. And um, what's great is these regenerative practices help build that back up. So you right. can actually build topsoil if you've been losing it. But what's hard is that the incentive system in the farming system does right. not support going to these practices. Yep. Um, the uh, There's no crop insurance if you're doing different crops. So you have to prove out year over year yield wow. for like three to five years. I don't know the exact number. Don't quote yeah. me. Right. Before they'll even consider giving you crop insurance. Um, there's not a lot of education. There's not a lot of insurance. And what's really fascinating is the societal pressure in farming communities on whether or not you adhere to traditional conventional farming practices or you do this. And if you do this, you are like a lone wolf. Oh, yeah in these communities. And yeah. so what's hard also is most of the innovation in the you know agriculture space and ag tech is all around these large farms because yeah. it makes sense. You can apply at scale. You want to get the most efficiency. It's precision ag. It's everything. And so a lot of the new innovation is not geared towards these small farms. Right. A lot of the guests that we've talked to talked about how things changed because of COVID, because of, you know, in, in the Twin Cities, the murder of George Floyd and sort of what people are paying attention to. And have you noticed... Um, any changes in, you know, sort of Minnesota's food ecosystem at any points that you really hope keep going or, you know, things you want to sort of keep giving life to so that Mm -hmm. they're not temporary changes Mm -hmm. as a result of the last couple of years. In terms of what has emerged um, locally that I would like to see continue, um, you know, every corporate made big promises after the murder of George Floyd. And I actually started in this role the day after George Floyd was murdered. So it was a really interesting time to come into a community and an ecosystem that was reeling, um, you know, because everyone is so on the ground in, in entrepreneur support organizations, everyone is out in the community. They're out there with the people. And, um, you know, there has been a lot of commitment to, we want to support, uh, diverse founders, um, especially black and brown founders in terms of either access or capital or, you know, anything in that space. A lot of the um, large companies have, some have done better than others. And I think living up to those promises, um, you know, we have a a program that we started um, in 2020 and it's a diverse founder trade show where we take 15 to 30, normally about 15. um, And we bring all of the buyers and retailers from local and regional and they all get a four minute pitch. And it's a way for folks who did not have the connections to say, Hey, how can we make sure you get an introduction? And we know it's not a, I meet you once and I'm like, yes, your product nailed it. We're going. Um, It takes multiple meetings with a buyer to actually get on shelf and they have timelines that they go through and do all of that. But getting practice, getting in front of folks, um, making those initial connections, you know, how can we be the conduit for access um, and on ramps into the different ways that they can build their business? So I've seen more and more programs like that pop up um, and just really around capital access as well. Um, Connect Up Institute does a fabulous job. They've been more and more involved with CPG founders. Um, and so they're trying to figure out how do we bridge that gap, especially the there's an, a specific stage where it's really challenging to find capital. 
um, because you are not proven out enough for people to see a track record right. and you're not mature enough to get VC money, you know? So you get caught in this, you know, valley of death of capital. And even though we have a lot of very well-to-do people here who've made a lot of money in various industries, everyone here is still very conservative with their capital and they like to invest in, you know, med tech, health tech or high tech companies that have quicker returns. You can make good money in food. It just takes patience. I listen to you talk about what you, what you do, how you're meeting with individual founders, how you're meeting with ecosystem players. This is not a small job, but if, but if I, if memory serves, I mean, you don't have that big a team no. doing your work. And I just, I would love to pull on a thread that's less about the ecosystem and more about leadership in roles that have big outsized impact, but I mean, your capacity. Lean. Yeah, you're lean. Yeah, it's, it's, I, yeah, I wish I could either clone myself or um, have the hard part, right? Like any ESOs, entrepreneur support organizations in, in Minnesota, um, we all have to fundraise to pay our own salary right. and to pay our programming. So I would love to hire another person, but that means I have to fundraise an extra 100 to 125K mm. a year to cover not only their salary, but their benefits and everything via, via the U. So, and the, even though we live at the U and they're our fiscal sponsor and there's a lot of wonderful benefits and tangible benefits of living there, the U doesn't directly give us any money. Right. So that is where we have to go. I actually applied for a St. Paul. So, <laughs> so All right. Yeah. Noted. That one went in last week. <laughs> yeah. Shameless plug. Um, but so, you know, a lot of it is around a, what is your strategy? Um, what is your priorities? And I'm a person who gets excited by a lot of things and I want to say yes. And I want to partner mm -hmm. with everyone. And so, if, you know, I would love to have another person run all of our programming and then I can focus on the higher level, like the community, the ecosystem connecting, right. because we're all wanting to support the same people. We're all wanting right. to see the same changes. And we all like to use a U of M quote, get on the boat and row in the same direction, right? Ski Um, But that takes time right. and you have to build trust with these communities and, you know, coming in, you know, I think what's been hard is a lot of communities directly impacted by George Floyd They've said, we've tried to dabble and you know what, we're not getting the support we need. So we're going to stay in our mm -hmm. community and do that. And that makes sense, right? If you've gotten burned, if you're not here, like I would do the exact same thing. I'd be like, we tried, it didn't work out. That's fine. I'd, I'll do me, you do you. Um, but it's unfortunate because there's so many resources they could get access to, but they need direct support. They need that one-on-one, -on -one, you know, that real consulting like hand held. Um, one org that is doing a fabulous job of this is 4AP for Access Partners. Um, they work with um, brands in the zero to one million space um, and they bring people along and sit down with them and work with them. Um, incredible organization, partner of ours, um, cannot say enough good things about them. And so they're ones that are doing the work on the ground. And that's the hard part. I don't have a, a crew of consultants who right. can do that. Mm -hmm. I certainly have sat down and like, let's look at your pitch deck or you know, walk me through this or whatever. But you know, when it comes down to your point of time management, right? Like that's where you, you get torn between execution and then higher level strategy and work in the ecosystem that happens honestly behind, like under the radar. I have sort of a closing question for myself. Well, it's a two-parter. In hearing what you do, and it's just been really wonderful to, to learn more about your organization and you and all of the work, because what I'm hearing is this really deep theme of inclusion, making this on-ramp much more open to a wider variety of people and communities, which is the work that we do at the foundation. So it's very aligned with mm -hmm. what you're what you're focusing on. So similar to Nadej asking about like being a leader in this space, mm -hmm. what are, and this might be hard to like encapsulate it because you're doing so much, but just for anybody who's really trying to uh, open the table 
increase the seats for more people. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts you would have about like how to do that in different organizations, different industries to really crack open the mm-hmm. access points? So what, lots of thoughts. Yeah. Um, first off, what, one thing we'll be doing um, at our conference, the last session of the day is going to be like a fail forward session of having founders share sometimes mm-hmm. where they've failed and had to figure it yep. out and, and recover. But that's really the first half. The second half is around we as a culture in Minnesota have our Minnesota nice culture yep. and it's very surface, right? Mm-hmm. People only go to the people they know. They're only comfortable talking to those people. And if like they actually randomly meet at an event and they're like have a connection with someone, yeah. you know, they're like, Oh my God, yeah, this is great. I'd love to help you. And you right. know, they may some follow through, some don't. I will say the biggest thing people can do is genuinely offer help and follow through. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you connect with someone and they say, I'm struggling with this. Do you know anyone? And you say, yeah, I do. I'll make an intro. Make the intro. Don't let it fall to the wayside. You know, people ask me what makes a successful entrepreneur. And honestly, it's follow through. It's execution. Because you can have a not great idea or a not great product. But if you hustle and you follow through, you'll still have a decent business, regardless of whatever industry you're in. You know, you see a lot of people are like, how do, how are you a millionaire? What am I doing wrong? You know, (laughs) like... But often it is, it's follow through and execution. And so I would say if you want to get involved, if you want to open the doors, legitimately Mm -hmm. physically open the doors, show up. That is a big one. We are like Mm -hmm. the downfall of COVID is it gave everyone a very convenient excuse not to show up. Right. To opt out at the last minute. Oh, I'm not feeling good. And it's like, again, be safe. Take care of your family. Right. Number one, for sure. But so many, every large networking event, I can't tell you how many people come up to me after and with like this tone of surprise, like this was so great. I met so many interesting people. It's really fun to connect. I hadn't seen these people in a long time. And they're just so shocked. Like, OMG, human nature trumped like, you know, everything. Like <laughs> right. we're animals. Like forgotten. Yeah. 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 People have forgotten that we're animals and we are, you know, community and we want to connect and all of those things. And it always blows my mind right. because just getting people to show up is one of the hardest things to do because everyone is so time strapped. Well, that's like, a that's a nice headline. It's really, you know, because the Minnesota nice is all of the nice words, but really, really, really um, following through with action. And then my, my two-parter was, do you get to taste things as you're working you know, with all of these wonderful <laughs> so and, critical questions? Yeah, I want to know, like, how much do you get to sample? Yes, yes and no. So okay. I will say in my previous roles as an R&D scientist, like, I basically got paid to eat. It was a great gig. <laughs> Like, yeah, Make if you're, if you're balls. like, I just want to eat for a living, yeah. be a food scientist okay. um, and then pick a good company that has products you like. Right. Um, you know, when <laughs> I was, a, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, dangerous slope. The wonderful thing is if you help a founder, they are often so grateful. They're like, what can I send you? Take a product, take a sample. And mm. so it is fun to be able to get to try everybody's products. The pride people have in their faces oh, yeah. is just, which I like having done development and being able to see your product in the wild on shelf, yeah. there's nothing quite like it. Oh, I'm sure. It, like it's, it's a wonderful moment and a wonderful feeling. So seeing them be so excited and just so proud is great. No, I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, you see people being proud when, you know, a five-year-old like makes breakfast for mom and like brings that tray forward and it's, you know, cereal with juice in it and it's terrible, but they're so <laughs> proud. And so it's so innate in mm-hmm. us. Yes. The sharing of relationships through food. What you, what I'm hearing you say is it doesn't change when the ecosystem gets bigger. It It's just maybe even magnet, um, magnifying how people feel. And I think that's such, I mean, food is so relatable. Everyone needs to eat. Everyone yeah. needs to eat. And every 
culture and family and individual has food stories and how they share through food. And like, this is, this is a meaningful dish to me. Like we used to make breakfast for dinner occasionally in my family. I think it was when my mom was like, I'm tired, not making anything real. And we have this, it's easy. Like, but it's still, Mm -hmm. it's it's still, yeah, it was still a moment that you did and a ritual you did with your family. So that's where it's really fun because it is so personal and you get to just see that blossom for people. And that's really fun. I love that. Um, you know, as we're kind of winding down and we're, we're already in the spirit of joy outside of the food space, what brings you joy? Oh, great. Well, this is where my adrenaline problem comes in. All right. We're ready. So yeah, driving fast, um, in fast cars (laughs) brings me joy. Um, like the best part about my job is connecting people. Like that is what I love to do. I coached soccer, like club level girls soccer for a decade, Mm. age eight to 16 and was able to see not only like progression of player and progression of teams, but like these are maturing children and maturing young adults and being able to see that happen over time was so rewarding and so fun. And so I really loved like mentoring and coaching and this role has allowed me to do that at a more mass scale, but also with my technical knowledge. Right. So like I played soccer in college. I still play for funsies. I'm way slow now, unfortunately. And I was bummed the U.S. <laughs> women got knocked out yes. of the World Cup early. It is what right. it is. Um, but, you know, being able to connect people, whether it's in work or just meeting random strength, like you meet someone and it's like, oh, tell me more about what you're doing. Oh, that's cool. Have you thought of, have you done this? Do you know this person? Like it's just, it's an innate thing for me and that makes me happy and brings me joy. Um, hosting people brings me joy. I love hosting. Um, that is my love language is cooking food for people. So it's, it's hard not to, it's hard to escape this area. Um, (laughs) But also, I mean, like I go to many UFC games all the time. So like going and being in that atmosphere and and seeing that happen brings me joy. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Wow. Yes. There was just so much to unpack there. Okay. First of all, do I say that all the time in every episode or do we just always have awesome guests? I think we have awesome guests. Okay. Yes. But also maybe I say it every time. You do. But I mean, there's a lot to unpack and um, I'm hungry. (laughs) Right. I just, I just have to admit that I, we did have lunch, but now I need a snack. Right. Because we've been talking about food for the last however long. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. So what, well, what, I mean, what stood out to you in all of these uh, layers that we need to unpack? Honestly, so much, but the the specificity of the kind of show up and follow through, yes. because that has nothing to do with the food ecosystem. That has nothing to do with anything in particular. It just has so much to do with how we as people engage with each other. And it's just mm-hmm. really, yeah, show up for people and like follow through. 100%. And I think the other thing, and I love that you're you're talking about how applicable this to just generally how um, we can support each other. Um, a lot of what Allison said, she she was kind of talking about two things that exist in so many arenas. There's the the personal story, experience, and idea, and then there are the systems we need to navigate, right. and the systems that work for some people quite easily because they've been exposed, and then the systems that just do not work for everyone, and so. She in her work is, I think, doing that showing up piece and um, and is bringing in other partners who are showing up. So I think there's there's a lot that we can take from that too, wherever we sit in our many places of uh, privilege. Yeah, I think so. And I think you know, 
the whole idea that like food, the ecosystem, yes. I mean, food is so personal. It is. Right. At some level, when you're talking about supply chains and systems and, you know, like accelerating and magnifying and all the words that I don't know that I'm right. supposed yep, to be saying. Yep, I'm following you. Like you're, you're beyond that. But at its core, like we all need to eat. We do. And, and, you know, often whenever you have conversations with folks about what is culture, Mm-hmm. What is one of the very first items that somebody will say when you say, help me define culture? Oh, yeah. It's all about it's all about food. the food. Yeah. And, and the ritual. Just, yeah. So it's just some of the, the innovation that she talked about and the changes that are needed and the ways to help founders sort of bring that to a broader scale are just so very important and because they're so critical to who we are. I agree. And on that note, I think we got to go grab something to Let's eat, Let's right? go get a snack. Yes. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You. You can find us on Facebook at I So Appreciate You Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at So Appreciate You. We'd also appreciate you taking a moment to write us a review. And if you like our show, be sure to follow I So Appreciate You on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Have a question or topic suggestion? Email us at podcast at spmcf.org. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You.